Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. On this week's programme, the story of the public housing boy from Nao Tao Kok, who started a sensible career in computers, but then embraced a far less stable life of musical theatre and cabaret. And we're so glad he did. Rick Lau, the star of shows such as My Queer Valentine, My Generation and When Rick Met Marsha, will shortly be turning into a DIY podcast, Agony Uncle Come Love God, for our entertainment in an upcoming show at The Fringe. Rick Lau's Lonely Hearts Club Hour is on from the 3rd to the 5th of November. I joined him at a rehearsal at The Fringe Dairy. Cabaret in Hong Kong, is this quite a popular phenomenon? Of course not. <laughs> Don't be silly. <laughs> well, it, it, it's getting better, but it's still quite a niche type of thing in Hong Kong, so it's not something you can make a lot of money out of. But it's, um, it's a great training for actors and singers, I think, and it's, it's, it's very enjoyable for the audience to be so close and personal with the singer on stage. So I think it's a great genre um, to be doing. So I, I really would love to see more and more people doing it and more, pe- and more people seeing it. I mean, how many years have you been doing cabaret now? Oh, God. Since drama school. Uh, so that would be 2000. So what, 15, 16 years now? Yeah. What would you say first attracted you to cabaret? I mean, there's many, many music genres. Yeah. I think it's mostly the storytelling. So it's not just singing the song, but you actually have to invest in it and, and, and tell the story um, with your acting and stuff. So it's, it's, it's more um, satisfying the act and, and when we were in drama school our teacher is a cabaret singer herself so she really spent a lot of time training us teaching us how to analyze the text and and put action on each of the lines so every line means something you have a, um, a vision in your head what you're singing about on every single line so um, when you're that focused then the audience can actually see everything that you see in your head and it's it's a great um, experience for both the singer and the audience Yes, I would say your songs really do tell a story. Yes, um, when I choose songs, I'm always attracted to songs that have a storyline, a beginning, a middle and an end, so I can have something to play on, play with and, and to plan the journey of the song and all that. Who were the first cabaret singers that you remember listening to that first inspired you? The first one probably was Barbara Streisand. Actually, it was an accident. I was at university and... I at that time, I didn't even like Barbara Streisand. I, I always thought her voice was very high and, and screechy and all that. But um, my flatmate at the time, um, one day he, he bought her Broadway album and he started playing that CD over and over again. And over time, it grew on me and, and I actually started loving the songs that she sang in that album. And all of the songs in that album are Broadway musical songs. And th- I think that's um, my first taste of musical theatre. And then two years later, I went to drama school and started studying musical theatre. And so I think that's the first time I got in touch with um, musical theatre and, and storytelling through songs. Of those Barbara Streisand songs, mm. can you name a couple? If I Loved You from Carousel, that's my favourite. I think it's still my favourite um, musical theatre song of all time.
So how did you warm to her voice? I mean, if you said that she was a bit high and screechy. I think then I started listening to her storytelling instead of just listening to the sound quality. And, and then there's so much in it. And she, she's a great actor, um, actor, singer. And so when she sings songs, she really put everything into the songs. And, and I really felt everything. And, and I think that's what attracted me to her. And then I started digging up all her old stuff. And when she started off, she was a great cabaret singer. Lots of raw stuff and, and beautiful and vulnerable stuff. And, and yeah. Would you say that love is a, a central theme of your shows? I think so. I was just thinking about it this morning. Yeah, a lot of shows I've done, uh, like Men in Love, that other show that I've done, it's um, a dozen songs um, about different men's love stories. And in my queer Valentine, um, even though there are all songs written by, again, lesbian composers and lyricists, um, a lot of the, those songs are uh, dealt with the theme of love as well. And I guess, yeah, love is a central theme in my life. So when I started uh, to put together this show, um, I started thinking back when I was at uni, I used to love listening to Richard Mercer's Love song dedication I don't know if you've ever listened to it it's a uh, oh, give me a snippet oh well he's a, he's, a, he's one of those you know agony uncle love god type of show and they played it every night and, and he would um, have people ringing in or reading out people's love song dedications and with all those stories and I, I was just hooked I don't know why at the time but yeah I was hooked um, listening to all those different people's um, agony and some of the stories are uplifting, some of them are saddening. I was captivated. It is Keith Urban in the mix of Love Song Dedications. Patty, how's life for you and Joelle? It's been amazing ever since we got together. So you've got yeah. a, you've got a real soulmate beside you, have you? Yeah, oh look, she's not with me at the moment, but um, yeah, she's at home and. I'm, I'm on my way there now, so... Oh, terrific. Okay, so you've been apart for, what, the day? Yeah, and it, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> are you living together, are you? Yeah, yeah, so we've been, been together for a while. And so I thought, oh, why not do a show with me being this agony uncle slash love god and have my own radio show at home, <laughs> a DIY homemade type of radio show about that? and um, have callers calling in and me um, reading out dedications and, and reading out different love stories. So for this particular show, you're a radio agony aunt. Yes, <laughs> agony uncle, excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> and, and speaking of which, um, last year I started um, writing love song dedications for a friend's radio program in Hong Kong, which I'm not going to name. But um, So apparently it happens, you know, um, sometimes... You think um, there are actual people ringing in, but it might be the, the host um, friends or something. So anyway, I was writing those um, <laughs> de love song dedications, and I really enjoyed it. And, and I was thinking, who knew? You know, all those years of um, compulsive, obsessive listening to um, those um, programs can come in handy one day. So I, I, I was churning out all these little stories and <laughs> love song dedications. So the actual songs we hear are your own writing? No. Um, they're all the obscure, or some of them not so obscure, uh, musical theatre stuff or novelty numbers that I just dig around YouTube, the library here and there and just find some interesting story songs. So these story songs can date back decades? Oh, yeah. There's a song, 1950s, yeah, and there's a song, 1940s, and there's a, a jazz standard. It's probably written in the 30s or something, yeah. Your shows are very upbeat. I mean, you have your slow, sadder songs, but, I mean, generally, I, I find 
that when I go, I laugh a mm. lot. In terms of um, this upcoming show, you're about to sing Tonight at Eight. Can you tell me about that? Well, um, I guess that's related to a caller calling in to this um, DIY homemade <laughs> program um, about um, his first date with this girl that he has never met before. So, um, and he's anticipating um, um, their dinner date at eight, eight o'clock tonight. So he's nervous and, and upset and, and confused, and, and so all that, all those different um, emotions you you go through when you're anticipating uh, a first date, first blind date tonight at eight. I'm nervous and upset because this girl I've never met, I get to meet tonight at eight. I'm taking her to dinner at a charming old cafe, but who can eat tonight at eight? It's early in the morning and our date is not till eight o'clock tonight, and yet already I can see what a nightmare this whole day will be. I haven't slept a wink, I only think of our approaching tete-a-tete tonight at eight. I feel a combination of depression and elation. What a state to wait till late. Three more minutes, two more seconds, ten more hours to go. In spite of all I've written, she may not be very smitten. And my hopes, perhaps, may all collapse. Kaput! Tonight at eight. I wish I knew exactly how I'll act and what will happen when we dine tonight at eight. I know I'll drop the silverware, but will I spill the water or the wine oh, tonight at eight? Tonight I walk right up and sit right down beside the smartest girl in town, and then it's anybody's guess. More and more I'm breathing less than less. In my imagination I can hear our conversation taking shape tonight at eight. I'll sit there saying absolutely nothing or I'll jabber like an ape tonight at eight. Two more minutes, three more seconds, ten more hours to go. I'll know when this is done, if something's ended or begun, and if it goes all right, who knows, I might propose tonight at eight. <laughs> and do we ever hear how he got on? Uh, no, I think at the end, at the end of the call, I just say, um, because the last line of the song says, um, who knows, I might propose tonight. And I think after the call, I just said, I wouldn't um, suggest proposing on your first date. <laughs> but anyway, have a great time tonight and call us back and let us know how you go. You know. Could you see yourself doing a radio job like that? Um, yeah, I think I can. Yeah, because I like listening to different people's stories. And so uh, a show like that with people ringing in or um, email uh, love song dedications, I love to do shows like that. In terms Are you hiring people? Yeah, <laughs> 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 well, I mentioned you to RDH Girls. That'd be fun. Yeah. Now, take me right back to your roots. I mean, you've mm. got uh, time in Australia, time in Hong Kong, but yeah. uh, can you take me right back to where you were born? I was born in Hong Kong. I was born in um, a suburb called Ngao Tao Kok in the Kowloon side. Um, it's a housing project. So seven of us in the family, we all um, lived in this um, 200 square feet flat in Hong Kong um, growing up. And two bunk beds and one sofa bed and one person slept on the floor. Yeah, so it was quite a, a small place for seven of us. 
a public housing estate in Nautau Cog. Yes, and yes. Uh, so can you tell me about your parents, what kind of jobs they did? Well, um, we used to have a, a corner shop in, in, in Nautau Cog, Block 3. We lived in block nine, so yeah, I used to go down to the shop every day and help out a little bit and have dinner and then go back home. And I guess what I remember most about it when we had the corner shop when I was a kid was, do you remember Coca-Cola? They used to have promotional stuff uh, um, all the time. Sometimes they have yo-yo, sometimes they have, what do you call it? Oh, Rubik's Cube. A Rubik's Cube and, and different um, prices they, they would give out to people. Us having the, the the shop, that means we always have the first access to those toys, and and I always, <laughs> so I, I was always um you know, showing up at school and and <laughs> and having those toys. So I think that's what I enjoyed most about um having that shop when I was a kid. Um, but we were you know from that middle lower class growing up. But for me, I didn't know any difference, so it was still enjoyable. And in that environment, all the kids were really close, and we were all playing together. In, in the playground and stuff. So growing up was a lot of fun. Do you find that you're still close to your siblings, having grown up like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you were stuck in a flat so small. Yes, we were close. And, and I guess Chinese family mostly are quite close. So you began in Nautau Kok uh, yeah. and uh, helped out at your parents' corner shop. Mm -hmm. um, and um, would you say... Oh, my specialty was some um, slicing bread. We had a... a, a sl uh, what do you call it? Bread slicing machine whatever it's called and so my job was to slice um, bread every day and and we all our whole family we all had cut our finger because <laughs> because of that machine and so we all had um, some scar here and there and I have a scar right here on my thumb <laughs> so that's a marking of the Lao family oh yes yes <laughs> but it was fun living in a, a public housing estate I think um, what I've heard from people who have lived in public housing estates during their, their childhood mm -hmm. is that they sometimes have a different relationship with you know privacy uh, personal, personal space, space. Yeah. that's one thing I noticed straight away when I moved to Australia that you have a lot more bigger personal space in Australia and sometimes the Australians would, would find that you are being too close to them you're invading into their privacy their, their personal space and and so yeah, and growing up in, in a 200 square feet flat and you know I, obviously our personal space is a lot smaller I, I consider self, ourselves lucky to have our own private um, bathroom in the flat at least because um, a friend of mine was just living in the building next door in Jordan Valley and, and in that one um, each floor will have communal showers and, and I can't imagine um, having to shower every night with strangers but I guess when you're growing up when you're a kid you don't know the difference and, and you become so close to your friends in in the house in the same um, housing project. You make up games and and um, there's a lot more creative and imaginative energy going around, and um, and you become so close to um, the kids in 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 the area. But one thing I found um, regrettable is the fact that there was no email or internet back then. So a lot of the kids that I was so close to, when I grew up and moved to another building. We just lost touch and completely, and, and there's no way I can trace them and look them up now, which I find sometimes a bit sad, because there are a lot of good friends back then, and now I can't look them up. Along with your parents' corner shop, were there a sort of street hawkers outside or oh, passing tradesmen? Everywhere. There were, <laughs> there were food everywhere. There was some um, barbecue um, beef, um, there's some fake shark fin soup, and, and there's some, um, what do you call it, um, pan-fried pork buns um, so char siu bao not char siu bao war tip um, what do you call war tip 
pan seed, pan fried、um, pork bun. Um, very oily, very fattening, but yummy. <laughs> and and also they make、um, the sugary. It's like a sugary thing with different colors, and then they have they they use scissors and make sculptures out of the thing. Beautiful、um, animals that they make out of those sugary thing, and then you just eat it all and full of sugar. But it was yummy and beautiful. So you had a lot of hyper kids. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, they're all sugary and they're unhealthy food, but I mean, that's why children love it. But, yeah, <laughs> but I think it's interesting that you describe that.、Uh, you know, I've heard from also other people who lived on these estates that often, you know, also bearing in mind that public housing estates these days can、mm. often be,、um, you know, have fifteen, twenty stories. In the early days, in the early days,、um, uh, I think it was. Yeah, fifteen stories. Now they're all like thirty, forty stories. And also now, I guess the culture is different. Kids don't really go down to the playground and play with each other as often as we used to. Now they're just inside their 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 apartment. So、um, the relationships are totally different now. Now you can live in a housing estate for years and you don't know your neighbors, their name, and all that. But back then we were always at each other's house and the doors are open and we play in the corridor way and a totally different thing. So、um, what kind of games did you use to play?、Um, I guess my favorite one was、um, rope. Uh, so skipping,、uh, skipping, and also、um, what do you call it with、um, rubber band? You put it together into a rope, and then you jump over it and do different sort of things. Oh well, yes, what do you call that? yes. No, I'd have done that as a child. Ah, well, I mean, it was just with a piece of elastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of pieces of elastic、yeah. together, and then they hold it up, and then you jump on it, and then you turn and or jump over it. The different games with that. Well, you have、oh, to find. You have、I、to think, find out what it's called. Yeah, in England we called it French skipping, bizarrely. French skipping. Yeah, I well, doubt、why? that that's what you called it in Nautilus somehow. But is that the same idea? Yes. And I think that's one of my the best games, my best game, because I was I was already quite. I could jump quite high, so skipping and that thing was my best game. And also with bags of、um, with rice inside or something, right? So it would be in material, sewn、yes. rice sewn into yes, material. Yes, small bags, and then the the number of them, and then you just、um, throw them up. And I don't know how to explain it, but yeah. Yeah, so you'd、it. have to try and catch them. Yes, try and catch them all, and also.、Um, Ping pong. We played ping pong a lot on the floor or on the proper、um, ping pong tables,、um, and and back then,、um, oh, the tribes already there. So sometimes you would be playing ping pong, and some tribe people would come over and take over the table,、uh, or some kids would come over, and you have to play a game to see which one wins. Then 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 decide who can have the table for their friends. You know. So were triads an issue for you growing up? Um, well, I didn't know、uh, the difference, so it wasn't an issue for me. But well, couldn't it, you, t- but couldn't you see the、happened. tattoos and things? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.、Um, and sometimes they're a bit scary. It wasn't a problem, but I certainly was there. And、um, when I had, when we had the corner shop, sometimes I noticed、um, in the corridor way, people would put、um, bags of stuff、uh, behind the pipes, and then minutes later, another guy would come on and, and br- take that bag and put. Money there or something. So, so that was drugs. Seen, yeah, probably. So I've seen、um, things like that when I was growing up, all did, the time. Did your parents get pressured to to pay?、Um, I think they did for a while. 
um, and then I don't know how they resolved the, the thing and then we didn't have to pay anymore I don't know what happened but yes at, at some point they were asking people to pay money to um, safeguard the, the shop or something yes right? that's right protection protection, protection money. money that's yes. right protection yes. money yes. Yeah. so now Talcock did you go to a school in the neighbourhood yes um, primary school there and then a secondary school was in Hormantin, and it was uh, Chen Shui Ki LaSalle College. And then I went to Australia, Adelaide, to do my year 12 and university there. I did computer science there. And first year uni, and then I transferred to Uni of New South Wales in Sydney and finished my computer science degree there. So, you're, uh, so you, do you actually use your computing skills? Oh, yeah. I was um, an IT consultant for six years before I chuck it all and, and went to drama school and started studying musical theatre. So at the end of that six years, what did you say to your boss? <laughs> Away with computers now onto cabaret. That's right. Actually, um, my friend took me to see a clairvoyant um, one day and um, as soon as I sat down, the clairvoyant said to me, I can see you singing on stage, uh, you're in elaborate costumes in front of elaborate set behind you and, and the audience are all captivated by you, blah, blah, blah. And for me, it was like a, a, a sign, it was an, uh, an affirmation because by then I, I had done a few amateur productions of musicals and I toyed with the, the, with the idea of um, doing it full time but I didn't have the courage to because um, there would be no money, no guarantee of money. But that experience was like an affirmation for me. Um, so two weeks later, I handed in my resignation letter. How come you were in Australia? How come? Um, well, because my sister migrated to Australia, my eldest sister migrated to Australia, and, um, and so um, my family decided to send me over as a, an overseas student to study. So you're born in Nautaukok, you've yeah. obviously spent uh, some years in Australia. Yes. What would you say about, in terms of your identity, where would you place yourself? I don't know. That, I guess that's the thing. That's why in my first few cabaret shows, uh, they were all about um, identity and being a misfit because I, I, I lived in Australia for 20 years and so half of my life was spent there. So I always thought I'm not Australian enough and I'm not Hong Kong enough and, and so I always have that feeling that I'm, I'm just passing by, a, a, you know. I still don't know where I re really um, belong, I guess, you know. But, but the other way of looking at it is, is I can actually live in a lot of different countries with no problems. I, I have no problem um, calling different places home. When we talked uh, six years ago, you were also talking about uh, being gay in Hong Kong and mm. what stage Hong Kong society was at in, mm. in terms of that. Six years on, what's your feeling on that subject? It's much better, but I think it's still not enough. It's not enough. I feel that it's still culturally... People are okay with celebrities being gay, but when it comes to their own family or their friends, they're still a bit about it. And um, I'd like to see um, more progress um, about it. But, you know, e even, even Australia, I still feel that, you know, uh, we're so behind with the whole marriage equality thing. They're still arguing about it. And uh, thank God the, plebis the plebiscite is off the table now, but, but still we're not, uh, it's not legal yet in Australia to get married.
in Hong Kong, Pink Dot and all those different gay parade and different things, they're more visible now, but still. I guess what I'm trying to say is, when I started off um, being a cabaret singer in Australia, um, I was a gay Asian, so a minority within a minority in Australia. And so there was always this thing, um, chip on my shoulder. So I was very political um, about gay issues and gay rights in my first few shows, um, up to my queer Valentine, I guess. Um, but then now, coming back to Hong Kong, and, and I'm a lot older now, I've mellowed out, and, and now I want it to be just part of our lives. So when I structure my shows, when I have a gay song or gay story, I always treat it as normally as I would treat um, a heterosexual um, love stories. And so people would just, when they watch the show, they would just see it as another story. It would just happen to be gay, um, instead of banging them in the head about it. And But through that, I hope that um, eventually the society would view homosexuality that way, that it's just part of life, like your hair color, like your eye color, um, and it's basic human rights. There's nothing special about it. Um, we shouldn't be treating it second class or anything like that. And so I guess my approach is a little bit different, a little bit softer than before. But I still have hope that um, eventually our society will be a better society and will be more inclusive and, and love would win at the end. I don't iron his shirts I don't sew on his buttons I don't know all the jokes he tells All the songs he hums Though I may hold him All through the night He may not be here When the morning comes I don't pick out his ties Or expect his tomorrows But I feel when he's in my arms He's where he wants to be We have no memories Bittersweet with time And I doubt if he'll spend New Year's Eve with me I don't share his name I don't wear his ring There's no piece of paper Saying that he's mine But he says He loves me And I believe it's true Doesn't that make someone Belong to you so I don't share his name So I don't wear his ring So there's no piece of paper Saying that he's mine So we don't have the memories I have enough memories I've washed enough mornings I've dried enough evenings I've had enough birthdays To know what I want Life is anyone's guess It's a constant surprise 
Though you don't plan to fall in love When you fall, you fall I'd rather have 50% of him Or any percent of him Than all of anybody else Ricklau will be starring on stage in the cabaret show Ricklau's Lonely Hearts Club Hour at the Fringe Dairy from the 3rd to the 5th of November. On the piano will be musical director Tin Chi Siu and the show is directed by Wong Hong Lee. Get ready for a soul-nurturing evening because, as the saying goes, sharing without fearing makes the heart less lonely. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>